Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. Church, we're in Joshua chapter 1 this morning. Joshua chapter 1. Actually starting a new sermon series today. While you're turning to Joshua chapter 1, let me ask you, what's the most exciting trip you've ever been on? Now, there's, I'm sure there's a number of people in the congregation who love to travel. You know, maybe you've gone to the Caribbean or Cozumel or Western Europe or Scandinavia, New Zealand, Asia, maybe an Alaskan cruise. Uh, Christy and I, this past summer, uh, last July actually, led a group to Scotland and England uh, on a Christian heritage tour. It was a two-week exploration of many of the places and people that were key to the growth of Christianity in Western Europe, including some of the early Baptist pioneers, actually. 2018, an even more exciting trip. We got to go to Israel. And let me tell you, folks, walking in the places where Jesus walked It really brings the scripture alive in a way that I really can't articulate with words. In fact, I encourage you, if you have the means, go to Israel at least one time in your life. Make that pilgrimage because it will really change your life. Um, Those are great trips. But you know, as I ponder this, I realize that the most exciting trip that we ever take is the journey we have with God. And as believers, we should always be progressing on that spiritual journey. Okay, so how do we do that? I mean, how do we actually get from the place we are now to the place God wants us to be? Well, actually this account in Joshua chapter one of Joshua and the Israelites kind of gives us a few clues how to get from here to there. In fact, we're gonna spend eight weeks in the book of Joshua, kind of a, a jet tour through the book. So let me give you just a little bit of background on the book. Uh, The book chronicles the approximately 20 years of Joshua's leadership of the people after after Moses had anointed him at the end of Deuteronomy. Now, we don't know with absolute certainty who actually wrote the book. Uh, Most scholars say that more than likely Joshua penned it. The latter part of the book was probably written by... Uh, at least another person after the death of Joshua, and the same person who probably did some editorial work on the book. But in the book, the author describes the Lord's fulfilled promise of providing land for Abraham's descendants by having Joshua lead the Israelites across the Jordan and uh, into battle, and also to parcel out territories for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. But if there's one overarching theme for the book of Joshua, it's this. Keep your courage because the Lord keeps his promises. Keep your courage because the Lord keeps his promises. So if you've got the place, I want you to read along with me. Joshua chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 through 9 together. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I'm giving the Israelites. 
I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness in Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites and west of the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you, just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you be strong and courageous do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So to kind of recap that, here the author says that the Lord will fulfill his promise of land to the Israelites after Moses had died, calling on Joshua to lead them, calling on him to be strong and courageous. We have the promise to lead the people of Israel in taking possession of the promised land, to teach them how to obey the law that was given to Moses because God's going to be with them wherever they go. But there's actually three points, three observations that uh, I want us to make about this text this morning. Three things that can help us on our journey of faith. Okay, here's the first one. Receive God's challenge. Receive God's challenge. Look at verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. So after Moses died, God challenged Joshua to lead the people to go and possess the land. Now this wasn't the sort of challenge that you and I are accustomed to. You know, the kind of challenge where somebody kind of provokes our flesh. I triple dog dare you. Not that kind of stuff. Okay, we're talking about something totally other. This was an invitation to take a step of faith. And it's not a decision to take lightly. Since Joshua had been with the Israelite people, he, you know, he sort of knew their weaknesses. He knew their problems. And even though he was well past middle age, Joshua accepted God's challenge. Now, there's a couple of different types of challenge that I want to note here. The first one is the challenge of the untamed. You see, a couple of chapters later, in Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. But as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge. What it's telling us is that at that time of year, the Jordan River was actually in a flood stage. Now, it would have been much, much easier to cross over when the weather was dry and the river was low. But you know what? We honor God the most in our willingness to trust Him during the hard times. See, it's easy to trust God when everything is going your way. 
and everything we want is given to us, yeah, that's easy. When things are hard, that's when our faith gets challenged. Yet we have that promise that God is with us. We know that He is present. We know that He's trustworthy. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And all your ways know Him and He will make your paths straight. Now, does the Bible promise that the straight path is going to be the path of least resistance? No. Everybody faces untamed situations in life. But God wants us to walk across that river and to face life's challenges. Because God often reveals His power best in the face of seemingly great challenge. So there's the challenge to the untamed. There's also the challenge of the unknown. The Israelites were preparing to walk where they had never walked before, into a land that was unknown to them. Now, the only people in their bunch that really knew what the promised land looked like were Joshua and Caleb, who a generation before were two of the 12 spies that were sent into Canaan to uh, see what's going on there. So nobody else has seen it. I mean, this is a brand new generation who have spent their entire lives in the wilderness. And you know, like them, you and I, we face new and unknown things almost every day. And for a lot of us, we fear the unknown. So we often settle for, really for problems instead of just facing our challenges. Well, none of us knows what the future holds. I, I get why people are fearful of the future, but you need to remember, even though we don't know what the future holds, we know who holds the future. Do you remember the promise that God made to uh, his people a few centuries later, his people who were living in Babylonian exile? Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. See, taking a step of faith and following God into an unknown territory, that actually creates a greater sense of dependency on Him, which leads to a greater intimacy with God. And it can ultimately lead to victory. So as we see with Joshua and the Israelites, a challenge to the untamed, well, that challenges our faith. And the challenge to the unknown strengthens our dependence on Him. In fact, it puts us right in a position where God wants us to be. Now, believe it or not, back in 1955, Parker Brothers came out with a board game for church families called Going to Jerusalem. In fact, you can still find one of them occasionally on eBay or, or Etsy. But it was a Bible game for players age 10 and up based on the New Testament. And your playing piece, you know, it wasn't a, a top hat or a Scotty dog, you know, that, like that, that worldly game for capitalists, Monopoly. <laughs> now, in going to Jerusalem, you got to be a real disciple. And you were represented by a little plastic man with a robe, with a beard, some sandals, and a staff. And in order to move across the board, you looked up questions to 
Bible, or you looked up answers to Bible questions in the little New Testament that was provided with the game. And players would start out in Bethlehem, they'd make stops at places like the Mount of Olives, uh, Bethsaida, Capernaum, Nazareth, and Bethany. Oh, and if you, if you rolled the dice really well, players went all the way up to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But the player never got to the crucifixion or the resurrection. You see, in this game, there were no demons. There were no angry Pharisees. The player only made his way through the nice stories. It was a safe adventure, perfectly suited for a Christian family on a casual Sunday afternoon stroll with Jesus. But for the people playing that game, you know, while they're leaning over the table, you know, jiggling their dice in their hands, maybe it never occurred to them that they're traveling with Jesus. You know, it wasn't just a, a casual stroll that was meant for plastic disciples who simply looked up verses in a little black book. I mean, the point is, if you're going to walk with Jesus as his disciple in the world, you might want to change your expectations. After all, Jesus did say in the Gospels, if anyone would come after him, after Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him daily. Rise to the challenges. Because as we learned in last week's message, the Christian life is chock full of challenges. So the first thing that we see in this passage is the instruction to receive God's challenge. The challenge of the untamed, the challenge of the unknown. But here's the second thing. Number two, recognize God's commitment. Recognize God's commitment. Look at verse five. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Joshua could accept the challenge because he recognized God's promise to him. In essence, God was saying to Joshua, hey, if you'll accept the challenge, I'm going to commit myself to you. Now, back in the day, there was a, a, a very popular exclamation. Jumping Jehoshaphat! Actually, I think it's probably more probably pronounced Jehoshaphat or Jehoshaphat. But anyway, you've probably heard that before. And I really didn't fully understand what that saying meant until I really studied in depth 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You see, if you were in King Jehoshaphat's predicament, you'd probably be jumping too. Because King Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah under the divided kingdom. This was after the death of Solomon. And in 2 Chronicles 20, the Bible paints a portrait of a man with seemingly insurmountable odds against him. Surrounding the people of Judah were the hordes of three armies who were coming to take them. They were vastly outnumbered, apparently doomed. But King Jehoshaphat's response in the face of this crisis, it really, it provides a sound game plan for all of us whose backs are against the proverbial wall. But he said this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6. O Lord, God of our fathers, you, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand 
our power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. Jehoshaphat, he noted God's unequaled power. He believed that God was greater than his circumstances, and he was right. God's power, God's grace, they are sufficient. In essence, Jehoshaphat recognized that God was committed. He was committed to finishing what he starts. Oh, and by the way, if you've never actually read that story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it actually has a, a good ending. When Jehoshaphat and his people arrived at the scene of battle, what had happened was God had worked in the minds and hearts of those three armies to where he actually turned them all against one another. And when Jehoshaphat and his people arrived, the battle had already been won because God had fought for them. He was committed. He was all in. I like what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God finishes what he starts. He finished what he started with the Israelites. He finished what he started with the people of Judah. And he'll finish what he has started in you. Because he's committed. And like Joshua, you and I have the promise of God's presence. Now, first of all, it's a powerful presence. Verse 5, God reminded Joshua that no one would be able to stand against the Israelites. Now, not because of their power, but because of His power. And likewise, when you and I accept Jesus Christ as Savior, He promises us His power and presence for our lives. And that comes in the form of His Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle John says this. He says, you are from God and have overcome them. Now, the them he's referring to is actually the, the spirit of Antichrist in the world. But he says, you are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Paul said in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. So God's presence is a powerful presence. It's also a personal presence. See, the power that was available to Joshua and the Israelites... That's not a power of angels or, or principalities, but of the Lord Himself. And it's noteworthy that you know, God initially displayed His presence as the people left Egypt to go into the wilderness by simply a cloud of, uh, a pillar of cloud that accompanied them by day, pillar of fire that accompanied them by night, and that was it. That was the only physical manifestation of his presence. And yet, the people of Israel were willing to face the challenges because they knew God was with them. And Jesus' disciples had the promise of his presence too, even after his departure from earth. He told them in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him. 
or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. You see, God's presence was with Joshua, but that same presence is actually in you. As a Christ follower, the Bible says that same Holy Spirit that Jesus promised his disciples resides in you. So his presence is a powerful one. It's a personal one. But it's also a permanent presence. See, at the end of verse 5, God promises Joshua, I will not leave you or abandon you. The assurance that Joshua would never have to fend for himself. He'd never be abandoned by God. In fact, that, that very same promise appears six different times in the Bible. And what I want you to understand is that even when you don't see God, even when you can't see his hand at work in your life, he's still there. I mean, even though you can't see the wind, you know it's there because of the things that it moves. Well, God's the same way. And even when we can't see him moving, we can still have the confidence that he's working on our behalf. It's like the old Babby Mason song says, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. In his book entitled, A Kick in the Seat of the Pants, Roger Von Oak said this, take a look around where you're sitting and find five things that have blue in them. With a blue mindset, you'll find that blue jumps out at you. A blue book on the table, a blue pillow on the couch, blue painting on the wall, and so on. In like fashion, you've probably noticed that after you buy a new car, you promptly begin to see that make of car everywhere. That's because people find what they're looking for. You see, at times God might seem absent, but the problem isn't that he's disappeared. We simply lack a God mindset. Our focus is not on the right thing. But when we begin to develop a sensitivity to him, then we begin to notice how he's working in our lives every day. We notice his presence at work. And just as God committed his presence to the Israelites, Jesus committed his presence to us. You'll recall his last words. Very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, 20, when he said, Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus Christ has given us his spirit to live in us so that we will never be alone. So God's presence is, is permanent. It's powerful, but it really becomes personal when we begin to obey God's commands, which actually brings us to the third thing this morning. Third thing I want you to notice is that we are to respect God's commands. Respect God's commands. Verses 7 and 8, it says, Observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or left, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper 
and succeed in whatever you do. God told Joshua to obey the law of God. Moses was gone. God's instruction still remained. You see, the Israelites' ability to move into the land and to claim victory was conditional. It was conditional on their obedience to God's word. Now, I want you to note what it says at the end of verse 7 and also the end of verse 8. Notice what it happens, what it says will happen if they'll follow his instruction. Into verse 7, you will have success wherever you go. Into verse 8, you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Now, this idea that the Bible you know, is, is prosperous, is beneficial to us, I mean, that's, that's not something that's restricted just to Joshua chapter 1. I mean, you see this idea elsewhere in the Bible. Probably uh, the most noteworthy one is, is Psalm chapter 1. Uh, Psalm 1, uh, verse 2, it says that the happy man's delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it day and night. Then verse 3 says, whatever he does prospers. Now, if you've been studying the Bible for any length of time, you know that the Bible contains two covenants. There's the old covenant and there's the new covenant, or as we more commonly refer to them, testaments. And with the exception of those things from the Old Covenant that are restated in the New Testament, you and I are not bound by all of the rules and the rituals that were specific to the Old Covenant, since they were given to a specific people group at a specific period in time, and since Christ actually came to fulfill that law. But you see, God has still given us His Word, His instructions to live by, Instruction that is, that's very profitable to us. Instruction that makes us complete. You know 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God is calling Christians to be obedient to His Word in our lives. And we honor Him by honoring His Word. Now, there's two facets to that honor, two facets to the way we respect Him. Our respect for God's Word is to be, first of all, complete. Just as Israel was to obey the law, we are to implement all of God's Word into our lives. You see, Paul didn't tell Timothy that, well, some Scripture was inspired by God. He said all. All Scripture is inspired by God. The psalmist in Psalm 119, 160, he didn't say that the majority of Scripture is true. He said the entirety of your word is truth. And so we can't treat Scripture, you know, like we're in some kind of buffet line where you get to pick and choose what you're going to obey and just disregard the rest because it makes you feel uncomfortable. Our obedience must be complete. Not only should our obedience be complete, but our respect for God should also be consistent. It should be a daily thing. God told Joshua not to vary from the law. I mean, he was not only to obey the entire law, but he was to do so every day. 
See, this wasn't some kind of weekend religion that just happened one hour a week on a Sunday morning that made no difference to the people the way they lived the, the other six days of the week. Joshua did not get to take a holiday from the Word of God where he was allowed to ignore it. In fact, God's Word was so ingrained in him that it permeated every facet of his daily life. Now, church, I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. Because the Christian life is not about some, some system of legalistic, moralistic rule-keeping. See, it's about relationship, not rules. Yes, God's commands are for our benefit. He gives us His commands to provide for us, to protect us. They're for our benefit, not for our detriment. And our obedience to them really should be a natural byproduct of our love for Him. You see, when the relationship with the Father is right, well, the rules take care of themselves without us having to obsess over them. Because we love God so much, we just automatically want to do the right thing. You know, we just read uh, one of the key verses in the book of Joshua just a few minutes ago, Joshua 1.8. It says, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. His word must not depart from us. Unfortunately, the Old Testament is full of all kinds of stories of how people forgot God forgot his word, and they suffered terrible consequences because of it. You see, for the Christian, the word of God, that's our lifeblood. If we take to heart these principles in verses 7 and 8, there's some things that are going to happen. We'll be mature in Christ. We'll be complete. We'll be useful to God's kingdom. We'll find that his promises here in Joshua chapter 1 will be ours as well. You see, if we heed God's word, our lives will be blessed accordingly. If we ignore or disregard God's word, well, our lives will suffer accordingly. So keep your nose in the book. Keep your eyes on the word. Speaking of keeping your eyes on things, I had a very embarrassing experience at the age of 15. There's a friend of mine who allowed me to drive his car around the small North Texas town we'd, where we'd both grown up. I mean, in spite of the fact that I had not yet obtained a driver's license. And so a lack of sound judgment on his part, coupled with the lack of driving skills on mine, proved to be costly. You see, as I was making a right turn near the town's bank, someone in another car honked. Well, you know, they, they didn't realize that the rightful driver of the car was, was absent. But as I was turning, I looked back to see who had honked, only to quickly realize that I had run the car up onto the bank sidewalk into a huge circular cement planter box. And, you know, and to this day, I can't remember what was planted in it, you know, besides the, the fender, which had become a crumpled mass of fiberglass and metal. Had I just kept my eyes on the road, no problem. No problem at all. In this journey that we call life, 
if we get our eyes off of the word and onto the world, or even more to the point, if we try to take the wheel instead of letting God take the driver's seat, we may find our lives are a crumpled mess. Church, I'm telling you, the most exciting trip you could ever go on is your journey with God. And as believers, we should always be progressing on that journey. We should remember the theme of the book of Joshua. Keep your courage because the Lord keeps his promises. Just as the Israelites had a land of promise that lay before them, you and I have a life of promise that lays before us. So how do we move forward? How do we progress in our spiritual journey? How, how do we get from where we are right now to where God wants us to be? Well, it's really not that complicated. I mean, the same thing held true for the Israelites that holds true for us today. I mean, it's basic faith 101 type stuff. If you want to move where God wants you to be, the requirements are still the same. Receive God's challenge. You know, whether that's an untamed challenge or an unknown challenge. Recognize God's commitment. His commitment as a powerful, personal, permanent presence. And then respect God's commands with obedience that is complete and consistent. How do we do that? How do we put that into action? How do we put feet to our faith? Well, I would suggest, first of all, just seek God's heart in prayer. You know, not your casual 30-second prayer. I mean, fervently seek His heart. Ask Him what challenge He is placing before you that requires you to take a step of faith. And then be courageous. You'll note that in that passage we read, he told Joshua three times, be strong and courageous because I'm with you. So be courageous as you take that step of faith and you trust him. Then thank him. Thank him that you are not alone on the journey because he's committed to you by granting you a continual presence in your life. You see, he's not simply walking beside you. He's carrying you. Then we obey. We obey his word. We obey the calling that he's directing us towards. So seek God's heart. Thank him for his presence. Obey the word. And if you do those things, I guarantee you, the journey ahead will be beautiful. Now, for a lot of you, you've been on this journey for quite some time, almost an entire lifetime. For others, your journey with the Lord probably begin, needs to begin right here, right now, today. You see, for Joshua and the Israelites, the promised land was actually a designation for a region of the world that God had promised as a heritage to his people an endowment from earth's creator to the children of Israel in which they would be established as a nation. But the beauty and the rest that they found in the promised land provided by God, hey, that simply foreshadows a much greater beauty, a much greater land of promise for you and I that was made possible by Jesus Christ. You see, for Christians, Heaven is the promised land. God has promised 
a glorious, eternal home for all of those who love him and have trusted Christ as Savior, trusted him for salvation. See, God the Father's eternal promised land is the heritage of anyone who comes to him through Jesus, God the Son. And that journey there, it begins with one simple step. A step of faith that says, God, I, I thank you. I thank you that, you know, by giving Jesus to die for me, you created a bridge to gap, to, to span that gap between you and me that my sin created. And I'm asking you to forgive me of that sin. And I'm trusting in Jesus. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he rose again. And so I'm trusting him for salvation and eternal life. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you, and you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.